I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. Did Joe Mason do it? <laughs> Please make that the first line of the new podcast. No. <laughs> little shout out to JM. Yeah. Uh, not not the skill. No, uh, Rachel McPadden just gave me a haircut. Okay, looks prior good. to this. Uh, welcome everybody uh, who's not Joe Mason or Rachel McPadden um, to Crackpot Cinema. Uh, I'm Mike McPadden. I wrote uh, Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies and. Joining me again is guest co-host Pat Healy. Hello, hello. And Pat, so of happy course, to be is a here. Writer, director, multi-talent. Anything you uh, in particular you want to tell us about right now? Uh, I guess I mentioned last week Run, which is on Hulu. Oh yeah, which, yeah, I watched it. I saw the number one uh, watched movie ever in Hulu's history. Wow, congratulations! Which is nice. I was uh, in those numbers. Yes, yeah, good movie. It was really uh, good. I am everything right now that I'm going to maybe do is hang, is waiting on uh, further uh, further uh, advice. There'll be a show called Them Covenant that's on Amazon, and I think will be on in May or June, sometime in the summer maybe, uh, which is a horror anthology show, a new show. And uh, uh, do I have any other movies coming out? I mean, I don't know when Dinner in America, which we talked about last week, is coming out, but I know that they they do not want to sell to a streamer. They would rather wait and have it be seen in theaters somehow. So that's that's what I've heard. I, I made a film with the same producers, uh, actually during COVID, in, in September and October, called We Need to Do Something, which is a, a tense psychological, I guess, horror thriller about a family trapped in a bathroom in their house during a tornado warning, which Man. is, I think, going to be really good. Uh, I had a good time doing it. And, you know, it's very uh, timely. So yeah. uh, I think you play the tornado. I, I, play, I play Rudy Ray Moore, the human tornado. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the dad. You know, that's that's a new right. that's a new thing for me. Yeah. Yes. You've turned that corner. I'm sure. Yeah. Quite effective. Got the gray temples. So uh, this week, uh, Pat Healy, we're going to talk about Bustin' Loose from 1981 mm-hmm. and DC Cab from 1983. Honk, honk. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say, really, um, what united these titles in my head as a double feature is that Kino Lorber has just put out two beautiful Blu-rays of both of them. And uh was lucky enough to pick them both up. So uh, I want to plug Kino Lorber, who uh, does great work. Yeah, I was trying to to make the connection. I guess they're both, you know, what what they would refer to now as urban comedies. Right, except uh, there's like nothing urban after the first 10 minutes of Busted Loose. It's exactly. Yeah. yeah. And apparently all of it was filmed in Washington State. Um, well, we'll get to that. It has an right. interesting and I will uh, say, production okay, so, history. So I came up with the connection. And I mean, you know. If you want to be uh, uncomfortable, we could say that, you know, it was both, you know, the headline black stars of the day, Richard Pryor and Mr. T. But yeah, I think more than that, these are to me feel like 
R-rated PG movies. That's very good. Uh, DC Cab, much more so. Uh, a Bustin' Loose was apparently intended as a PG movie. It was the yeah. first movie that Richard Pryor produced, and he meant it to be to, to make it more family-friendly. And then something really weird happened in the middle of it, um, something terrible. And I don't know how much that changed it or just... Because I was watching it, and it was like, I don't really know why it's R except for some F-bombs. Yeah, he says... And he doesn't even say that much. And it's like no. under his breath, he says, motherfucking Ku Klux Klan kind of stuff. And there are F-bombs in, in movies in that era that are PG. So yeah. it maybe seems a little racist to have rated that movie R, but... It um, seemed like, yeah, they were punishing Richard Pryor for something. Yeah, but... Anyway, maybe we're, we're putting so, the cart before the horse, as it were. Yeah. Well, no, no, we can talk, because generally, because we can talk about, like, what is uniting these movies. In. Well, I, I remember, you know, of course, like every other kid who was 12 years old at the time, the Mr. T thing was just like, I mean, of course you wanted to see that. I don't know, on the poster, right. he's giant, and everyone right. else is, like, little tiny at the bottom, and, you know, then, of course, he's hardly in it. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess not hardly in it, but he's really not. It's the, not the, the, the Mr. T movie. No, at all. And so, um, also but, in that sense, they're both false advertising. Um, but I remember how shocking—maybe uh, shocking is not the right word—but the surprise how R-rated it was, and, yeah. and even more surprised yesterday because I haven't seen it. I don't even know if I saw that movie a second time because um, I wasn't really that into it. Uh, how R-rated it is, yeah, and how much nudity and and, and profanity and just kind of just vile <laughs> there is, isn't it? whereas bustin lewis is just an incredibly uh sweet movie yeah for uh, families yeah i mean just would have been a perfect um had they had they gotten the pg or just done whatever was necessary i really feel like it would have been richard pryor's meatballs yeah, and then he, you know, he he went into that category like in the next year, the next few years with with the toy and Superman three yeah. fully embracing that. But those aren't, you know, they're quite horrendously as, bad films. Yeah, yeah, they they don't and they don't utilize. He seems a little castrated in them, you know. Yeah, whereas and this, insane and out of his on, mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, something you know happened, and <laughs> yeah. uh, but he uh, he's incredibly funny in this and and uh, boy what a great actor he was and how how vulnerable Truly. he allowed himself yeah. to be and um yeah uh, but i really think the fact that and we'll get to dc care but i i do feel like because there is filth in it but had they excised that it, i think it would have worked as a pg movie it, it was did, a big christmas yeah. movie yeah like bad news bears i mean look at yeah. that i mean yeah. that was you know five years before and it it uh it uh you know has much worse stuff in it but right you know yeah. i guess there's some stuff with the kids too that's a little dicey you know it I doesn't mean, have you know, nudity or anything in no. obviously but <laughs> yeah. yeah but uh you know and i think because of those r ratings they couldn't show these on hbo during the day so kids weren't watching these movies after school so that's why i really feel like that's why these two movies are relatively obscure for this. Yeah, though Bustin' Loose did pretty well. I mean, it was a low budget yeah. movie, and yeah. it and it made thirty million dollars or thirty one million dollars. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was you know like the twentieth highest grossing movie yeah. of the year. Well, we so should they, talk they about well that. Um, let's get into uh, Bustin' Loose. Yeah. So uh, ratings. Now I came up with a rating for each movie. Okay. I came up with two potential ratings for each movie. You go first this time because I don't okay. think mine are that good. Bustin'. <laughs> <laughs> Busted loose or flush and deuce. 
Okay, that's already one of mine, but oh. yours is better. Not flush. I didn't have flush. Okay. Richard Pryor or shit is dire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I had busting loose or drops a deuce. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> and I had busting loose or butt crack juice. Which okay, I like that one. <laughs> I, I came up with as I was going to sleep last night, and it popped into my head, and I had to get my phone right down. That's how good I, I, it is. I'm very flattered that this was in your brain as you're that's using one that's like As they call in, if you're in therapy, you know, a doorknob moment where you know you you, you have a regular session, and uh, as you're leaving, you walk out and you open the door and you turn around and you look at your therapist and go, "Hey, I think I might be gay. I'll see you next week." You know, <laughs> one of those, just like you know. Popped in there. Got to get out. All right. So Talk, let's go with butt week. crack juice. And, okay. and for me, this is busted loose. I, I, I love this movie. I agree. Uh, I don't I lo- love it, but I yeah. but I agree that it's good. All right. I'm not, okay. Am I going to say it's it's a great movie? No. But I have tremendous affection for it. Same. I first saw it on the NBC Sunday night movie, whenever that was, probably 82, 83. Uh, then it was on Channel 11 in New York throughout the 80s. I always watched it. And... I've always been a little embarrassed by how moved I get by the sentimental stuff in it. I was much more aware of that this time. I saw this movie uh, probably either on HBO or on what they had on TV, which we talked about before in, in Illinois. So that might have seen it first. No, I probably saw it first on HBO. And I feel like I saw it a lot. So I must have been watching it at night when it was on. And it would have been something that my parents would have watched, or particularly my dad, because he, he, he loved Richard Pryor. But uh, I, I remember seeing it a lot and then not seeing it for a long time. And I saw it again probably in the last 10 years and enjoyed it and wondered, because sometimes even movies now that I've revisited in the last 5, 10 years, are, I thought were good 5 or 10 years ago are not good. Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, I enjoyed it uh, again. And uh, was much more touched by it than I than finding it funny. Um, right. He's uh, just a beautiful soul in this movie. He just <laughs> yeah. it really works. And I and I wonder. Okay, so um, I don't know if you want to talk about the, the do the synopsis quick, but oh yeah, um, let's, oh yeah. Before we do anything else, let's synopsize yeah. here. Richard Pryor stars as a two-bit Philadelphia criminal after failed uh, TV set heist. He's placed under the guidance of his a-hole parole officer, Robert Christian. Cicely Tyson plays the P.O.'s girlfriend, a social worker who runs a home for special needs kids that has just been shut down. Cicely wants to take the kids out to her uncle's farm near Seattle. Pryor gets pressured into driving them out there on a broken-down school bus. Pryor, Cicely, and the kids bond along the way through various adventures. Once there, Cicely needs $15,000 to pay off the mortgage. Pryor attempts a scheme to get it. In the end, the kids figure out a way to save the farm and set up a new home for themselves there. Yeah. So to talk about production a little bit, and I haven't been able to get solid confirmation on this, but apparently this movie was made in 79 right. at some point. It yeah. sat on the shelf. And when Stir Crazy came out in December of 80, it was right. a huge hit. Right. And they went back and did reshoots, apparently – Supervised by Michael Schultz, who directed Car Wash, which was, right. I think, you know, Richard Pryor's first big success in movies. Um, even though he's not the lead in that, he's sort of the Mister T of that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the Joel Schumacher uh, connection there. So, right. uh, 
And then, so what? So the chronology is uh, some conjecture here. This is shot probably either in the spring or the winter of uh, '79 because of the seasons. You can see that it's yeah, it's, it's cold, cold out. out. Yeah. Um, Richard Pryor shoots um, Stir Crazy uh, February through April, in mostly in Phoenix, and in May he pours. Uh, 151 rum all over himself uh, during a drug uh, uh, drug trip and uh, a drug derangement and uh, lights himself on fire and burns a a large percentage of his body. And so the reshoots for Bust and Loose occur after the accident. And you can see in certain scenes his appearance is different. He's gaunter at times. Yes. And when he's gaunt, uh, more gaunt, um, he his mustache is also uh, thinner. It's not the fuller mustache that he has. He's a little more fuller faced. The younger Richard Pryor from right. the '70s that we know uh, in those other scenes. It was it was it was hard for me because I was getting engrossed in the movie to see where exactly that was and when it was happening. I I, I have a feeling that the whole pyramid scheme heist slash madcap thing was a reshoot thing yeah it could be but he's still what, what it becomes a completely me. different movie yeah. like yes for, and then just goes back to being the movie that you know it, it was <laughs> yeah. it's such a physical role for him and yeah in particular that sequence which is just a slapstick chase and a shootout eventually um but we should talk a little bit about on prior the momentum leading into this because that when this came out he was Essentially the biggest star in the world. Yeah. Uh, so January 79, Richard Pryor live in concert came out. The, Which is still one of the funniest. I mean, a, if you laugh for a laugh movies, I mean, I know it's a concert movie, but it is. No, just it's devastating. Yeah. It's dangerous to watch. Uh, <sighs> cost $750,000, gross $15.8 million. Uh, Pauline Kael wrote probably the greatest of all recorded concert uh, performance films. I imagine that's probably still true. Yeah, yeah. The uh, 1980 in May, he sets himself on fire. December 12th, 1980, Stir Crazy came out, became one of the biggest blockbusters of uh, 1981, making $101 million. So then May 22nd, Busted Loose came out, and it had very funny TV commercial and ad campaign that focused almost exclusively on prior with the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, which is like two seconds of the movie. The poster right. is him in front of the clan. Right. It's a complete throwaway gag. And they show the entire gag on the commercial with the kids pretending to be blind and everything. Yes, which is still funny. Which is hilarious every because time. Because of how quickly yeah. they go along with it. They, and they yeah, right. put their the- arms out like Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it, it debuted number one at the box office uh, against the budget of $11 million, made $31.3 million. Yeah. But I have to say, many people must, and it got good reviews in general. Yes, uh, I think some people found it saccharine, which uh, yeah. you know is uh, sort of silly because uh, maybe maybe it was that it was you know neither fish nor fowl that yes, it wasn't very quite much, a, yeah. a dirty Richard Pryor movie, and it wasn't you know good you know it was still too dirty for family. So right, um, there's a lot of. There's a lot of talk. Richard Pryor loved cartoons, apparently. Mm-hmm. 
And this comes up in discussions when when asked about Blazing Saddles, because he's one of the credited writers on the movie. And the assumption is that he was brought in to, you know, do the racial humor. But they apparently did none of that. His jokes were all like Candy Grant for Mongo, like all of the cartoon (laughs) stuff. And since he wrote the story for this movie, and this is the first movie he produced, there's there's quite a bit of it. There's there is a he totally does the Bugs Bunny thing on the judge, who wants yes. to send him back yeah. to jail. But he says, "I don't want to go back. To, I want to yeah. go back to jail. I don't want to go to probation. The probation right. officer is evil, and you know yeah. gets the judge to you know it's the shoot me now or shoot me later bit. Yeah, there's a bit where he uh, where the bus is getting away. It's the blind guy is driving it, and his shoes are catch fire <laughs> yeah, he right. seems to do a bugs bunny thing where he's in in this pyramid scheme or a trapezoid scheme or whatever yeah. it is later where he dresses up in a costume as a character and convinces him to let handle all the money somehow. yeah a very warner There's brothers type so of character much of that kind of stuff uh, you know, in it this um, uh moneyed hayseed from texarkana yeah very very much out of a foghorn leghorn universe he does yeah. that bit in superman 3 as well to trick the guy to get him into the uh, when he goes to smallville to get into the computer thing he gets one of those giant foam cowboy hats oh, yeah. and does this hayseed <laughs> character and gets the guy drunk and packs into the world's computers to change nature somehow. i really wanted one of those things uh when they came out and then my, I was bugging my mother and then like we went to a toy store like for my birthday and she was like well there it is what are you going to do with it and I was like nothing and then I didn't get it <laughs> yeah it seemed like a thing to me I don't remember seeing it in stores I remember it being one of those yeah. carnival uh, right you know, oh yeah it definitely was yeah. Carnival. yeah yeah no and I couldn't win it on the boardwalk in Keensburg so we found it at KB Toy and Hobby at probably the Woodbridge Mall oh yeah KB was always in the malls. It was like the sort of lower rent Toys R Us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know he has, sort of has like a carnival cowboy hat in this too, with the feather in it and the, yeah. the big. You know, it's like it's a very much a cartoon <laughs> character's outfit. It's not. Yeah. I had this theory. It's like maybe he went and played because he's wearing it at the end when he comes back, which doesn't seem like a reshoot to the no. farm. No. Maybe he went and got involved in a high stakes poker game, and since it's the country or something, but because right. that whole segment of the movie just seems like reshoot to make it more of a wacky comedy and it has all these cartoon bits he puts a pretends to be a lamp and puts a light bulb in his mouth which actually lights <laughs> and up it works I mean, like uncle fester yeah. this really funny thing where they are they're they're the bad guys are looking for them and they turn around and they pretend to be mannequins him and cicely tyson I laughed out loud. I cackled at that. <laughs> I, I just watched one of the Abbott and Costello movies, which was not that good, but it was that there's a funny, it's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, right. one with Boris Karloff where they, where uh, Lou is trapped inside a wax museum and there's all kinds of different stuff like the electricity, uh, you know, gets wiring, goes bad and electrifies the Frankenstein monster and it's coming after him. <laughs> right. And there's a bunch of that kind of stuff yeah. where like, the executioner has the axe that comes down on the head that rolls, but there's a mouse in the in the wax museum, and the head is on the mouse. And so oh, I remember that now, yeah. It's like that, that kind great. of stuff, yeah. um, which is funny, but it's like we have this very, like, um, uh, heart, uh, heart-tugging, you know, movie, comedy, you know, yeah. with Richard Pryor and the kids and Cicely Tyson, and then suddenly you've got this, like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird Bugs Bunny cartoon. Uh, um, and, 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 you know, crazy. one of my favorite things on his albums is when he would do routines about his kids. Yeah. And and in uh, the first concert where he does the thing about his his son trying to lie to him unsuccessfully. <laughs> yeah. 
And I was like, so he obviously, you know, he felt connected to kids. I mean, he wrote this story and everything. Yeah. And that might also explain the, you know, bizarre but dull Pryor's Place Saturday morning uh, Yeah, and if you think about show. it, too, he had he was somebody who had no childhood. You know, right. he, he yeah. grew up in this whorehouse and mostly raised by his grandmother. and um, um, Scenic Peoria, Illinois. I recently watched, you know, as you know, long uh, a few months ago, they had it on Criterion. I hadn't seen it in many years. It was Jojo the Jan- Jojo Dancer? Your Life Is right. Calling, which is the movie he starred and directed and wrote about, you know, not even loosely based on himself. It's just the, <laughs> right. na- the names yeah. are changed. Yeah, he's named Jojo Dancer, and that's about you know it. And yeah. and it's a it's it's not bad. Um, right. I mean, I, right. I really like. Maybe this is why I just was sort of touched by his vulnerability in this movie, is that he really putting his balls on the line with that movie. Like he really putting himself out there, and and you know, and JoJo Dancer, and really like whether all of it works or not. I, I just give him so much credit for doing that because it's you know incredibly it must have been incredibly painful for him to yeah. to to go through. And you know, he's uh, naked quite a bit in the movie and you see his scars and everything too which mm-hmm. is, is just another uh way of him being being uh you know vulnerable and putting himself out there but there's a there's a couple moments in this movie you know he starts off as this you know criminal but we know he's not really a criminal he's a thief who's not good at it he spent a lot of time in institutions, mostly, I guess, because he's not very good at it and he gets caught all right. the time. <laughs> yeah, right. Even the plan to steal these TVs at the beginning is just so harebrained and stupid. Yeah. I mean, the first thing, he fi- fails at night and has to give his candy bar, which is his dinner, to the, his Three Musketeers bar, to the dog. The dog, and then yeah. they, And then there's a whoop, you know, what, what's that yeah. kind of wipe where the thing flips? They do that a lot in this movie. Yeah. Classic. Uh, ends up trying to pretend like he he's coming from another store of that chain and using race to bait the the uh, the white guy that runs it was the place really the funny that the manager really good and that Gary is Gary Getzman, Getzman yeah. who is uh, who became Jonathan Demme's uh, he's in a lot of his movies he became his producing partner and is now uh, Tom Hanks uh, runs Tom Hanks company at Playtone yeah. um, he's really funny did you notice the uh, the original the MCA Disco Visions uh, Disco Visions Jaws, there yeah. there are Jaws and Jaws too, and there's a I think an Olivia Newton-John like videos uh, one on there. Oh, that would make sense. Like like that. The, yeah, that was on the top on the rack. That's the kind of things I'm looking at when I'm watching these things. Yeah. But yeah, he's really Always. funny. He's yeah. doing his. You know, a lot of people forget that Richard Pryor really was like. His identity was not really the bad motherfucker. His identity was this nerd who would Completely, occasionally position yeah. himself as one yeah. and often be foiled by it. So, like, yeah. that bit is pretty funny. Yeah, no, um, he was often, like, he was a skinny kid kind of as yeah. a character in in a very threatening bad motherfucker world. <laughs> yeah. So when he does all that thing, and, yeah. and some of this, he he he, get, he gets the upper hand on the kids because they're kids. So like you know, yeah. he's he's driving the bus and they try and steal his wallet and all this stuff. And he says, you you know what I was in prison for? And he pulls out a switchblade and says, murder. And they all run to the back. Uh, it's funny. And another one of those whoop wipe things yeah. is the uh, uh, I'm not sleeping on this bus I am not sleeping on this <laughs> sleep on the on bus, the like bus. That yeah. it's yeah. funny though you know it, it works yeah laugh. it lands and it, 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 it probably lands because you know it's coming so it's satisfying yeah. when it does yeah 
And uh, so, you know, the, the, yeah, the basic gist is, you know, uptight Cicely Tyson, who doesn't like right. swearing, and right. uh, and Richard Pryor, uh, who's, who's a bit of a, a criminal dirtbag, who, but with a heart of gold. And then finally, you know, understanding each other and him, him allowing himself to be vulnerable and her allowing herself not to be so uptight. Right. And we should talk a bit about Cicely Tyson, who did not want to do the movie. Because, for precisely that reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She didn't. She didn't like his foul mouth. <laughs> yeah, but she but decided to. And that's charmed the, by the story. Yeah, the relationship is is authentic in the movie. Now, now here's the thing. I, I do you know how, how old Cicely Tyson was when she made no. this movie? No. Would you Would you take a guess? I, no, because I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> I, I couldn't guess. She was either 54 or wow, 55 that's years amazing, old. Because I was going to say 40, and I was going to say she's probably 28 or she something. She was 57 when it came wow. out. She's 96 years old. Holy which moly. Which is remarkable. Yeah. Especially and, because she of the autobiography of Miss Jane right. Pittman, yeah. Well, perhaps that uh, you know allowed her to play that because she was you know older than she looked always. Right. But she's still doing it. I almost did a movie with her. She did. She ended up uh, dropping out sort of at the last minute a few years ago. Uh, I, I think because she's older now. And I don't know if she has health issues or what, but you know she's ninety six years 96. old. Ninety so. six. But yeah, she was you know a good what fifteen years older than Richard Pryor, if yeah. not more. Uh, but she would 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 never know it. No, she looked like a nineteen eighty one version of thirty five. Yeah, in that movie. Yeah. And she's very much the Miss Cicely Tyson, you know, yes, uh, uptight, yeah. prim and proper uh, yeah. character. I saw but her once in a this. parking garage in Manhattan, 1978, uh, when my mother took me to see the Pope at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I, I remember when the Pope came to Chicago. That was a big deal. It's a lot of yeah. Polish people in Chicago. And actually, Joe Mason's uh, younger brother, my best friend, Dan's, uh, <laughs> the best story is they went and lined up on Milwaukee Avenue where the Pope Mobile was uh, coming down, and there's just thousands of people lined up, up and down, you know, miles of Milwaukee Avenue, and the and the Pope Mobile tire ran over his foot. <laughs> <laughs> wow! But yeah, that uh, that's like the Eddie Murphy joke. God, remember the Dominus Omnibus? He'd be all right. Yeah, where yeah. the Pope Mobile ran somebody over. <laughs> yes, you know it's it is. I mean, I, I like this movie. I like you know. A lot of these movies, but it's just it's it's a shame that Richard Pryor, other than the concert movies, never had that one. You know, he didn't have his Beverly Hills no. Cop or his his Forty Eight Hours or his Coming to America. You know, or Nutty Professor. You know, he he didn't have that one that really fired on all cylinders, like no, Eddie Murphy. Not did, at all. You know? Maybe that's an unfair comparison, but it was always just something off. And you know, knowing his behavior uh perhaps that had something to do with it the movies could never you know fully uh come together because he was you know uh, not always uh, accountable from what i understand but um the director of this movie at least the initial director is a guy named oz scott and as far as i can tell he never directed another feature he's a no. huge television director he came from the theater right uh the arena stage of uh, dc uh, I guess he he had directed this production of uh, For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow is Enough and also did the um, American Playoffs version for PBS and he won a Drama there Desk was, Award for the there play. There was a title that really intrigued me as an eight-year-old. What yeah, the hell is this? We read that play in college and Tozaki Shange wrote it. 
And I think uh, Tyler Perry made a film of it a couple of years did. ago. Just called Four Colored Girls. Right. Um, so that's so kind of cutting it off at the knees, man, if you're not going to commit to that title. Right. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then directed this, and then directed, and still is directing. He's on a show now called Black Lightning. He's a, a CW show, which I think maybe is a DC Universe show. Yeah. yeah, it's a superhero show. So he's like one of the supervising producers and directors of that show. So this is, you know, starting in 1979. He directed 40 episodes of The Jeffersons. Wow. Between 1983 and 1985. I don't know how many, probably hundreds of episodes that show, yeah. but 40 episodes of The Jeffersons is a lot. But, I mean, just like every show uh, imaginable from, you know, 1980 to, to present. Um, the movie does not have much of a directorial uh Flair or Flair, yeah, yeah. There's no signature in there, really. Yeah, um, which might explain why he. So very nice scenery along the way as they're driving. Very nice scenery, Washington yeah. State. Um, but it's you know, not really about how it looks. I mean, there, there's, oh, there's another little cartoonish bit was when they, uh, when Richard Pryor goes to the kids' room and ends up playing with them, and then when they. When yeah. she discovers him, he's got those red full body right. pajamas, <laughs> long underwear, and he's holding the big teddy bear. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the note I wrote was so he's trying to occupy the kids uh, while she's looking for the three that ran off to an arcade. And he says, we're going to play strip poker. And right. in 1981, that would clearly land as a setup for the gag of him in the long red underwear. Right. Yeah. It would certainly not land that way now. <laughs> no. I don't know how. It, it evolves into a very, very, maybe, the, maybe one of the most touching scenes in the movie. But initially, right. it's a joke that, you know, one of the girls is a, is, a, is a Vietnamese girl who was forced into prostitution at age nine. Right. Um, and she has a uh, hey there, sailor joke, which is sort of like, eee. but then yeah. it, it, it tra they transform that into this very... Touching yeah. scene where she. Comes I, I noticed she was and, older than the other kids. She looked yes. to be about fourteen. Because yeah. if, it, if it was any younger, just you couldn't watch it at all. Yeah, and they they didn't make a case of you know she makes a point of saying she was nine years old when she when yeah. she was forced into it. So you know it's not not great for for uh, comedy. Could we talk about how many references there are to Richard Pryor being lit on fire in this? <laughs> and how many times he almost gets lit on fire? He puts his cigar in his bathrobe at one point when yeah. Cicely Tyson comes in his room and she right. goes, oh, don't light yourself on fire. He could only hope that those scenes were shot before. But everyone's watching the movie with the knowledge because it had happened. Yeah. I guess it got out that initially the story was that he burned himself doing you know, crack, which he, he was, was free doing. Basing, yeah. First, he but, said it was he was it was a cigarette and a glass of rum that he spilled. Right. Then it but was. As it yeah, turns he out, he poured, a, he poured a bottle yeah. of the most powerful, uh, uh, highest alcohol content rum over his body and lit himself. You must fire. know that from working on Station Nineteen as an elixir, as, as an accelerant. <laughs> I rum. know it. I know it from. Uh, well, it's one fifty one rum, which right. is the higher, the highest right. proof. You know, one of the highest proof. And the reason I know it is because at twenty one, on my twenty first birthday, my college, uh, you know, friends took me out, and that was one of the things that was in a shot called the gorilla fart, which is which is a bunch <laughs> of 
of you know different things like wild turkey and jägermeister and and 151 and i was like what's 151 and it's you know it's this really high proof rum so yeah. uh yeah he, he, he that that scene is pretty funny where at first it's a funny scene where he sees the pyromaniac kid we should say one of the kids is a, is a pyromaniac yeah one is blind one is a child prostitute and some are just you know troublesome uh but uh, he's lighting a, a you know hay, like a hay in a barn on fire where yeah. they've where they've stopped for that the night. That is really and, funny. Yeah. But he, he he accidentally lights his hat on fire and then he right. puts it on and it's funny and then it you know it that that's the first scene that leads to the revelation of Richard Pryor is you know cares about these kids and right. you know he, he he thought it was weird and funny at first but now he's sort of touched because he sees how upset the kid is and yeah. that's a kid whose whose family has died in a fire that. I guess it was what it was accidentally called. He accidentally by him. said it and then kind of developed pyromania. I was doing a little armchair psychology, probably as a way to try to control fire. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's I don't know that much about pyromania. He, but he was that, messing around with the with a with the lighter and set the house on fire by mistake. So. Yeah. And so there's that, and then you know, of but, and the, that fire hat stunt is really impressive. He keeps that hat on his head for a long time. It's really physically funny. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a little distracting in context, but it's it's funny. Um, so let's talk yeah. about the trapezoid scheme. Yeah, and it makes me. I gotta ask Pat: Have you ever been a part of a multi-level marketing <laughs> program? No, I mean not that people haven't tried, but right, uh, right. I, interestingly enough, I did an episode of the show Angel, which is the Buffy the Vampire spinoff, right. and I played a vampire motivational speaker. So oh, he that's was, amazing. Wow. He was uh, like a Tony Robbins guy. And yeah. The whole thing was like, uh, turn one, save two for food. You know, it was appearance. <laughs> and so like, that's and hilarious. I, had, I did a whole, like, it's one of my favorite things that I did on TV. I did a whole, like, speech from the stage and... You know, where I'm like, you know, given the whole sort of doing the whole Tony Robbins kind of, uh, you know, rap. And then uh, I, I say something silly and I go, all right, guys, don't don't put a stake through my heart now. And everyone laughs, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've never. Yeah, I don't I haven't been. I participated in the landmark education forum. Well, I have some experience with that because, of yeah. course, a, a girl uh, uh, asked me to go, and <laughs> yeah, I went, right. and then I signed up for it, and then immediately regretted it. So, did you go? I ended up not going. I mean, I went to one with her, and then and then right. I called to get my money back, and they really put the high pressure right. on me. And that's actually when I got into uh, into psychotherapy and did analysis. Wow! Because I had called a friend of mine whose mother was a therapist, and and uh, she. Uh, referred me to someone who is sort of an expert in cults and sex right. and things like that, and uh, that was you know um, yeah it was the beginning of that for me. So I um, went. Uh, I did the weekend, um, and first off, I was because I was really excited because I, I know it came out of Est. Yes, which of course is you know growing up in the seventies was such a pop culture staple. Werner Erhard. Yes, typically it would be on a sitcom or and then really hilariously parodied in the movie Semi-Tough with Burt Convy. Right. Um, and the idea was you'd go in this room for three days and they wouldn't let you pee and the guy would scream, you are an asshole! And if you try <laughs> to speak, he'd say, you're full of shit! And I was like, I gotta do that. Like, I really, as a yeah. kid, I thought, this is gonna do me good. Then as a, you know, 28-year-old or whatever, uh, 
yeah, a friend of mine had done it and, you know, succumbed to the pressure to bring in other friends. And then I signed on. And I, I will say, uh, you know, the writer Chuck Palahniuk did the forum before he wrote Fight Club. Right. And he came out and he said, I'll, I'll tell you, yes, it's a scam. And I also got a lot of good stuff out of it. Well, you know, therapy is you know about eventually allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to, right. to open up and you know it's not probably safe or advisable to try and do that over a weekend <laughs> right. uh and also it's not the you know um to, to, to make an analogy to something we're talking about you know if if someone lights your head on fire and then puts it out with a fire extinguisher <laughs> you shouldn't be grateful to them for putting it out you know uh it's that kind of thing yeah. and it was asked they, the reason that they changed the name is because all the lawsuits for all the things right. i don't know right. if you've ever seen this movie called it's called either circle of power aka brain oh god what is it mind mind what is it when you when you oh brainwash and Brainwash. it's based on huh. not est, but the original est, which was called, it was like executive something. Success programs? Super, yeah, super, yeah. like super uh, executives, you know, trying to be, trying right. to get people to be, you know, good executives. But it oh, was. Oh, yes. Yeah. I've not seen this movie. I just found out about it. I've got to okay. see it. Well, the movie, they make it sexy and they make it a hot yeah. chick. And, yeah, you know, yeah. It's a and, and, yeah. And, and, but, it, has, uh, it has like five different names and it came out yeah. a bunch of different times. Yeah. I think it's on. I saw it on a, a, a DVD burn of a VHS as as um, brainwash. But Circle of Power is the is the name, and that one is the original original. And I I'm, I'm going to do a movie actually with a director, a documentary about that uh, next month. Oh, cool! So funnily enough, because I do have an interest in this, uh, I'll come up with the name of it. But essentially, in that movie, that's when it started. It was literally like putting someone in a cage naked, pissing yeah. on them, beating the fuck out of them, throwing them yeah. raw meat. And some of that stuff's in the movie. It's, I mean, that's the soft version and it's pretty gnarly. Uh, but, uh, and then they just, you know, people kept picking up pieces of it and, you know, shaving the edges off it to make it a little bit more, right. you know, desirable, presentable, self-help, all that stuff kind of all come. I mean, basically Oprah comes out of like that, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. That, you know, um, yeah. But uh, can't remember. Executive success programs, I think, was Nexium. I think that was the forerunner of Nexium. <laughs> Nexium, yes. Which we just saw two different Definitely. documentaries about. I haven't seen either. Oh, okay. So the book is the, called the, the Stars. P one is much better than the HBO one. The Pit, uh, semicolon, a group encounter defiled is the book, and it's based on Leadership Dynamics Institute. That was the name there of it. You go. And the lead instructor's got name was Ben Gay. <laughs> wow. so yeah to, which is all say a long way around yeah. saying that in this movie richard pryor he's about to throw a rock in the bank that has rejected cicely tyson's <laughs> loan right. and he and he sees the flyer for it and right. goes and he's in a crazy cowboy costume and, right, and then and they, the leader of this trapezoid scam is george coe yeah. Who a lot of people the, don't know is the original original cast of the, one of the original not ready for primetime right. players. It was billed as a not ready for primetime player just on the first episode because they they figured they needed a middle aged man. In the, right. For the but he was on he was on sketches Dan throughout Ackroyd the first. Could do season. anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and uh, I don't really understand what's going on there. I mean, it's basically yeah. you give us your money and we'll we'll make more money for you. Yeah. Um, and a bunch just of a, yeah, like a, yeah, just the classic pyramid scheme. Of, uh, and Richard Pryor figures out a way to get to the actual cash that's laying on the table and starts stuffing it in his pants and stuff. Um. So yeah, that stuff feels like a stuff that was reshot, but uh, I can't. But really it was know. funny. I enjoyed it. Um, yes, but yeah, I truly get choked up when uh, he's comforting the pyromaniac kid, and then when he's kind of giving them with the angry speech, where he's saying, "I'm not a loser," and then kind of yelling at the kids like, "You're not losers either." And, yeah, uh, you know, you are somebody. That he says, I'm getting choked up thinking about it. <laughs> well, he's, he has a really touching speech with the kid Anthony, his name is the yeah. pyromaniac, by the water. And Anthony opens up to him and tells him everything. And then he says, I, I love you. Yeah. Yeah. And he really means it. And it's just yeah. like, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, did I mention yeah, when, when the bus is running away, the shoes are smoking? I talked about that. Oh, there's yeah. that scene, too, where he takes them all fishing and then he falls in the water and pretends like he's drowning to right. get Cicely Tyson in. That's the thing that finally loosens her up. He, right. he pulls her in, she goes in to save him and then finds out that he's in four feet of water yeah, and he was just, just messing with her. Yeah. And immediately, of course, she's originally, initially very angry but right. then laughs along with everybody else at how funny it is. So, uh, I want to go through Michael Schultz, the uh, uncredited oh, I, I, reshoot I director. liked yeah. how... Um, the word cool was spray painted on the back of the school bus. That <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> cool. That's right. That's it. I think that's the only graffiti that's on the bus. Yeah. The only thing you, yeah, you could read. Otherwise, it's just beat the shit. Yeah. Yes. Go, go uh, talk so, about it. Uh, so, Michael Schultz, uh, we're actually going to do a special episode of this show dedicated to Michael Schultz with a guest, very uh. special guest, who was originally scheduled and then understandably decided at the last minute he really could not commit to talking for an hour and a half about the best of sex and violence, the uh, right. trailer compilation. <laughs> oh, he's going to do uh, uh, the Michael, Michael Schultz, Schultz with you. Instead. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good. So uh, Schultz, of course, his uh, breakthrough is Cooley High, the Black American Graffiti, which is a terrific movie. And also the inspiration for the show What's Happening. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Developed as Cooley High and then just became what. And, but and really, like, the only connection is that Raj looks like he the kid glasses. in Cooley yeah. High with the glasses. Right. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, that we should mention there was a, a busted loose TV spinoff with Jimmy Walker mm -hmm. in 87. Which was uh, either written or produced by the co writer of DC Cab, Topper Carew, the producer and co writer of DC Cab. He was one of the people that worked on that show. Another uh, connection. And then Car Wash, of course, which is great. And then mm -hmm. uh, Greased Lightning with Richard Pryor as a race car driver, a period film I've never seen. Uh, which Way is Up tried to watch on TV once and was baffled by it as a kid. I understand it's a remake of a Lena Wolfmuller's The Seduction of Mimi. Yeah, I saw it many years ago, and I feel like I saw it more than once. But, yeah, he plays yeah. A, a couple of different characters in it. Um, yeah, three different characters. An but old like, man. Isn't, like the Lena, isn't that like a Marxist? Like, I, I mean, I, I'm now very intrigued to go back, and we should, we should watch both of them. Yeah, he's an intriguing guy. I mean, yeah. I just he had he made interesting choices. Um yeah. Including, I mean, I didn't know that story about Grease Lightning, which with with uh, he did with Pam Greer, and they were right. in a really serious relationship with each yeah. other. And then Richard Pryor just one day went off and married another woman. Uh, out of, 
nowhere. <laughs> she had no idea. As he was wont to do. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which will be on our next episode. With now, is it Cat true that that movie was not a flop, but actually made money? It's just perceived as one because it was so revived. Yeah, I think it made money, and certainly the soundtrack album sold like gangbusters. And yeah, uh, I mean that. Yeah, that version, the Aerosmith uh, uh, come yeah. together, is still in uh, heavy rotation. Classic rock. Carbon copy with uh, George Siegel, Denzel Saw Washington. Saw that uh, in the theater on a double feature with a movie that I love that you guys shit on. So fine. The Andrew Bergman movie. Oh, with well, well, <laughs> well, I loved it too at the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was, yeah, George Siegel and the introducing Denzel Washington as yes. George Siegel's black son. Who he and that was know. an HBO daytime perennial oh, yeah. to the point we didn't we got HBO in 1987 and it was still in regular yeah. rotation. Yeah, yeah. A uh, little TV movie side, side trip here The Jerk 2. With Mark Blankfield. Mark Blankfield from Friday's. The Jerk, T-O-O. T-O-O, yes. Which I think they also did with Splash. They did Splash. Yes, they did a Splash 2, yes. Yeah, Yeah. and I think it was also T-O-O. Yes. Uh, Crush Groove, 85. The Last Mm -hmm. Dragon from 85. Mm -hmm. And Disorderlies, which I saw in the theater and laughed hysterically. It's funny. (laughs) You never thought the fat boys and Ralph Bellamy would do a movie together, but it works like gangbusters. The gag that really killed me is... Like the, they're they're CPR. acting as waiters at uh, you know this big banquet that he's having in his backyard, and one of the fat boys is stuffing the plates in his pants, and the other guy, guy goes, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Didn't you hear? It's a thousand dollar a plate." <laughs> <laughs> I'm still laughing. Was a benefit dinner or, or lunch? St- still makes me laugh just thinking about now. Is I think they think. Ralph Bellamy is that they that yeah their job is to be or at least for elderly Ralph Bellamy who's yeah. in a wheelchair, and I think they think he's choking or they think something's wrong yeah. with him and it's not and they decide <laughs> to give him mouth uh, mouth to mouth resuscitation yes. and yeah. and it's the camera is a wide angle lens of one of their mouths closing up <laughs> on his face yes. and it's so funny it's in the trailer yes. if you just want to watch the trailer it's really a lot funny. of love for disorderlies uh, yeah it's a Three Stooges movie basically yes exactly. Three, three large stooges. Yeah. Um, so then uh, some other Richard Pryor movies. Wild in the Streets. Which I still was, have never seen. Oh, it's great, man. Yeah, oh, it's no, so I good. It. I just read about it in the book Nixonland. And, uh, oh, right. I've heard Strom Thurmond, uh, on the floor of Congress, he read the... He angrily read the New York Times review of the Green Berets, which called it <laughs> vile and insane. Yeah. And then... Um, in the same the same day, uh, there there was a rave review of Wild in the Streets, and he read that into the record as well. <laughs> so. Strom Thurmond, and then like one of the, like probably the ultimate holy grail for this podcast, uh, Uncle Tom's Fairy Tales, a film for homosexuals. I haven't seen that one. No, nobody has seen it. This is his. This is Richard Pryor's The Day the Clown Cried. <laughs> oh, did, is it like something that he was an engine behind? He wrote. He wrote it. He produced it. He stars in it. It's directed by Penelope Spheris. When was Co-stars it? Co-stars with Franklin and Jay from Car Wash, sixty-nine. Right. Um, oh, wow! And nobody really knows what it's about, but they think it's about like these black militants that kidnap a white executive. And he was like so crazy, obsessed with the movie, and his wife would say, "You spend too much time with that movie," so he shredded the negative. 
Wow. Like much like Brian Wilson throwing the smile masters in the fireplace. Yeah. So but there are pieces of it that still exist. And he claimed that somebody stole it from him, showed it in some art theater, and held it for ransom. And he <laughs> paid the ransom. And then Rain Pryor, his daughter, uh, and Penelope Spheres put together just a couple of minutes for the Mark, Tra- Mark Twain tribute to Richard Pryor. Mark Twain. All oh, right. They showed it, and his wife sued them and said they stole that from the house. His wife, uh, Jennifer, his current wife. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's some back and forth there between him and his daughter because both Quincy Jones and Jennifer say that Richard was, you know, openly bisexual right, with right. his friends and that he was in a uh, sexual relationship <laughs> with Marlon Brando. Yes. <laughs> if you ever listen to the Gilbert Gottfried podcast. Yeah. Yes, but but Rain uh, d- d- refutes that, apparently. Yeah. And uh, they say she's in denial about it. I don't know. Uh, well, there's, there's uh, an amazing roast uh, on YouTube from the Richard Pryor show with Paul Mooney and uh, Sandra uh, Bernhard. Oh, I should say Paul Mooney is is his uh, yes, he's Marvin at the beginning, stealing yeah. the um, young Paul Mooney, stealing the TV, trying to steal the TVs. And they're you know in the context of joking, going on about all this gay sex that they've been having. <laughs> well, yeah. he says apparently in his book that he uh, dated a transvestite for two weeks. Yes, and, yeah. and said so he was gay for two weeks. That's yeah. how he described it. So, uh-huh. and he refers to Paul Mooney as Miss Thing repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then uh, Pryor also said Bill Cosby paid for the final uh, edit of Uncle Tom's Cabin. And uh, yeah. after they showed it to him, he said, <laughs> "He said Cosby's only comment was, hey, this shit is weird.'" <laughs> it means a lot coming from him. Uh, the Mac. Repeatedly played forever yeah. on Forty Second Street. Got a lot of re-releases. Some call it Loving, which is a weird sex movie. I always thought it was a Radley Metzger film, but it's not. I think James I've B. Seen Harris. That. It's cool. It's good. Yeah, with Zalman King. Did we go through Watt Stacks already? Or did we yes, not we've talked that? about Watt Stacks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we haven't mentioned it yet. Yeah. But, he's really his stuff is just him hanging out in a bar, spectacular, yeah. interspersed and just loose. Then so yeah. funny, so great. And then, yeah, on that count, there's also Dynamite Chicken, which is one of the inspirations for the show. Right, which I think I saw at some point, but um, I don't remember much about it. Is that is that that's another kind of like Kentucky Fried movie type? Sketch well, thing, no, it's or? it's no, there are sketches in it. No, it's it's like an omnibus. It's like a magazine of like you know head culture, circa right. 1971, and it's just him very, very impromptu, telling jokes while he's playing basketball. Sprinkled right. throughout, re-released in the spring of '82 when he was a superstar. Uh, right. Adios Amigo, directed by and starring Fred Williamson, Fred Williamson. Which is a western. Yeah. Where Pryor plays Sam Spade. Uh, Car Wash, Silver Streak, one of the best. Saw that in the theater, 1976. Loved it. Wanted to, didn't get to. Yeah. Uh, Bingo, Long Traveling All Stars and Motor Kings. Seen it many times on TV. Loved it. Which was a movie that was. I believe supposed to be directed by Steven Spielberg. Wow! And then it was a last-minute change. I think it's that one. I always get that confused with the uh, the Burt Reynolds one. That's like CC and the Dixie Dance Hall. Kings oh yeah, yeah. WW and the Dixie Dance Kings. Yeah. Maybe it's one of those. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, Blue Collar, which Great is something movie. of a masterpiece. Yeah. 
Just He's, watch that again. They interestingly on the ad for that. That's what seventy seven or seventy six. Seventy eight. So on the ad for that, they kind of try and do like a which way is up thing. Where even though I know that's after, yeah. with they, they put two different faces of Richard Pryor, like yeah. one his yeah. like his hat and his glasses yelling, and then the other like him right. smiling as regular himself, like as if yeah. it's a wacky Richard Pryor comedy. That's how they I, sold it. Yeah, I thought it was as a kid, and then I finally of saw course, the movie. Yeah. It's just the, Hardcore like labor uh, movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, in both in nineteen eighty, in God We Trust and Holy Moses, which is a double feature, we'll be covering on this show. Yeah, those are both cameos, basically. Yeah, we showed up for one day. Some kind of hero never made it all the way through. But again, that's like another like mostly dramatic film that they sold as a wacky comedy. Saw that again recently. Uh, not long ago. It's okay. It has one really funny thing, which is probably the thing that you remember and is a very Richard Pryor thing, which is he attempts to rob a bank with right. a squirt gun, but he has the gun in his pants, and it just looks like he pissed yeah. in his pants, and everyone's laughing at him. And much like the Ku Klux Klan, that was on the poster, and that was the commercial. Right. Yeah. And, and that's really the, the standout thing about the movie. And then uh, The Toy, which is a, a hideous film. Just hideous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought like, oh, maybe we should be talking about that today instead of DC Cab. But you yeah. know that uh, is a really and really when you think about it, it's Jackie Gleason buying Richard Pryor <laughs> as a toy for his son. But like even like removing the racial horror of that, it's it's just it's it's a grotesque experience. And it was never good as a kid. I remember no. just I think Jim saw it and was like, N you know, because we were kind of yeah. excited to see it, and he's like, no, 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 stay away. And those little Scotty Schwartz. Yeah. Who like then made porno movies when I was working at Hustler and we had to like interview him and stuff. Yeah. Who was Flick in the Christmas story. Uh and his dick looked like him. I'll just say that about <laughs> Scotty Schwartz. Kidco. <laughs> and then the last one I'll mention is See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Oof. With Gene Wilder from eighty nine, which was pretty terrible, which was a huge hit. So and then there's, they did another one where Richard Pryor is just really ill yeah. and looks like he's being propped up the entire time. Yeah, another um, you. Started it, by Bogdanovich, who got the boot. Yeah. It kind of makes me mad. I, I don't know. I guess maybe he wanted to do it, but it just it feels like uh, they really right. it just, it should have just walked away from that one. And then because I have to mention that we have to talk about the other movies that opened because this is the third time. We've talked about May 16th, 1981 on this mm. podcast. The Fan with Lauren Bacall. <laughs> right, which you've talked about on here. The Legend of the Lone Ranger, which we did an episode on. God, that's the same day. Yeah, The Four Seasons. These are all just opening, not even like now right. showing. Uh, the Four Seasons with Alan Alda. Outland, the incredibly yeah. boring Sean Connery yeah. movie. Uh, the Peter Himes movie, it just yeah. doesn't, which we talked about we on talked the We talked about on 70s, yeah. right. Uh, Death Hunt with Chuck Bronson and Lee Marvin. That's a good one. Yeah, I always like that. Got terrible reviews. Yeah. Improper Channels, a movie that baffles me with Alan Arkin and Marriott Hartley. I don't remember that coming out. I just remember seeing the video box all the time. Yeah. Lion of the Desert. Yeah, I remember that coming out. Uh, Anthony the, Quinn and Rod Steiger. As that's right, a, yeah. yeah. Patton and Ra Rommel and yeah. some guy in the desert. The uh, major re-release of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which mm. my friends and I went to see, and I closed my eyes the entire time and kept going to the bathroom. Yeah, I so I didn't really see the movie until that. later. Uh, Savage Harvest and Stir Crazy was still in theaters. 
Right. At that point. And wait till we get to the uh, day that DC Cab came out. Too. Oh, it's a, a mother load. So yeah. uh, DC Cab, 1983. Let's do the synopsis. Get it right out of the way. Adam Baldwin travels from Georgia to Washington, D.C. to meet his recently deceased dad's Vietnam vet buddy, Max Gale. Gale runs the ramshackle D.C. cab company. The drivers are all colorful characters, including Mr. T, the Barbarian Brothers, Charlie Barnett, Marshall Warfield, Gary, Gary Busey, and Paul Rodriguez, all of whom play variations on their established persona. Don't forget Bill Maher. I'm getting there. Other cabbies okay. include Bill Maher as a synth musician named Baba and Otis Day. Of Otis Day in the Nights yeah. under his real name as a Rastafarian named Bongo. Dwayne Jesse. Uh, Whitman Mayo plays Mr. Rhythm, a homeless man who camps out at the taxi depot. Emerald, taxi is the, Emerald Cab is the rival taxi company. Mr. Rhythm finds a $500,000 violin in the cab. Max Gale gets the reward. Ask the cabbies to invest their shares in the company as partners. That doesn't happen. But Adam Baldwin busts out his whopping $6,063. <laughs> which in today's dollars would be $15,850 uh, to you know, really remake the entire company. Uh, then Baldwin gets kidnapped along with two rich kids. <laughs> this and the cabbie movie. rescues them, and they get a hero's parade in our nation's capital. <laughs> Oy vey. So uh, let's do our reviews, our thumbs up, thumbs down, our ratings, rather. Yeah. I have okay. a DC cab or feces crap. <laughs> Uh, Mr. T or Mr. P? We, uh, we, we're, we, we're, we're once again aligned. I guess there's not too many variations. I had DC cab or feces slab. <laughs> I like that. I had uh, DC cab or pubic crabs. Wow, I like that too. And then, because we talked about urban comedies before, I wrote urban comedy or turd bin tragedy. <laughs> I like pubic crabs. <laughs> uh, yeah, this... Uh, it's interesting because I remember being, you know, as I said, so excited to see this movie, the Mr. T movie. And I, I, I'm going to say this, and then my brother will call me to correct me later, as, as he did last week, which I, I made the mistake in saying that we had seen the movie uh, uh, Folk and Dagger as a sneak preview with the movie Tank with James Garner. We had actually seen Tank as a sneak preview with the movie oh. Harry, Harry and Son, which might be Paul Newman's worst movie with Robbie Benson. With Robbie Benson. talk about a lot. You of but, uh, this yeah. podcast and universe. Also one of the first significant Morgan Freeman uh, performances. Uh, and, and so DC Cab, I feel like, I remember we went to see it on a Saturday night at the Rockaway 12 in Rockaway, New Jersey, which we've oh, well. also talked about. And I feel like it was a sneak preview, but I can't figure out what the other movie would have been. It was usually another Universal movie, and Universal yep. often did this. Uh, so maybe not. But I also think it was because we it was a rated R, and we, we had different... Sometimes they would just sell you that you just asked, and they'd just sell you the ticket. They wouldn't even right. ask. I was 12, and Jim was 14. Uh... Sometimes you would buy a ticket for another movie and then just go into right. that. Uh, and sometimes the sneak preview was how we saw 
Uh, I had seen Stripes because my dad had taken me to see it, but we, you know, saw an absence of malice sneak preview, and Stripes was the second movie. So fine was the, you know, other wow. uh, second movie, yeah. and the carbon copy was PG. So that works sometimes. So I don't know how we saw this, but we went. I'm pretty sure we went by ourselves. I, I don't think our parents would have seen it with us. And I did not see it in the theater. I, but I remember looking at the poster, seeing it was rated R, and thinking, I'm going to wait to rent that. Because I would see R-rated movies by myself on 42nd Street. This was not worth it because I would save that for, like, insane movies. Right. So, like, the Brooklyn R-rated movies, I would have to kind of budget because I'd be going with my friends or something. There was a lot of big ones at and this And I was going to say, yeah, I, I so for that Christmas vacation, because this is a big Christmas movie release, I used my R-rated allowance to go see Christine and Scarface. And I, I thought they were both stupid, but I liked Scarface. And nobody yeah. would go to see Sudden Impact with me. And then I rented it, and I thought it was boring. I saw Sudden Impact because the community theater, in uh, which was an old stage theater that it was uh, a hollowed-out movie theater, giant movie palace that was run terribly by this Indian man who seemed to be working it alone with a giant Great Dane with huge balls in the lobby. <laughs> And the presentation was always bad, but you could always get into an R-rated movie there. So I'd seen that. So, yeah, the week before Scarface, Christine, and Sudden Impact had opened, um, two days before Silkwood opened, and on this day, DC Cab, Gorky Park, The Keep, The yeah. Man Who Loved Women, the Blake Edwards uh, French remake with Burt Reynolds, uh, To Be or Not To Be, which was a movie I think I saw, the Mel Brooks remake a couple Never times seen. in the theater. I love the original so much. I've never seen the Mel Brooks. The yeah, original is great. Uh, two of a kind, the John Newton, Olivia Newton-John. Movie I've seen a, a dozen times. And a Terrible. Wonderful. It says Uncommon Valor with Gene Hackman. I yeah. seem to remember that coming out earlier, but maybe I'm wrong. No, same day. I got the same thing. Also, yeah, so Mickey Mickey's Christmas Carol, which oh, was the right. first Mickey Mouse cartoon in 30 years. Issued but that was a, re a 30 of minute rescuers. Rescuers. Yeah, yeah, it was a short, right. but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the and then The Dresser came out around that time, and I did see that and was incredibly bored by it, although I think it's a great movie now. But, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, I feel like I thought this movie was okay when I saw it. I'm sure I was disappointed that it wasn't the movie that I thought it was going to be. Right. And I probably liked seeing boobs and I remember liking some things. I probably thought it was okay, but it was not a movie I revisited. And now I know why. It's, it's not. <laughs> Are you going to say pubic? <laughs> What's pubic yeah, crabs? feces slab or pubic crab. I'm going yeah, to give it a DC cab because I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I will talk about the things I liked about yeah. it. I, I will say that I think of the big, successful, you know, well-known studio directors, Joel Schumacher is among the worst. I mean, well, I don't think... I, let's talk about him. Any of his movies are, are particularly good. Even the ones that we kind of, you know, enjoy, like maybe The Lost Boys. Lost which, Boys is what it is. So there's yeah. a Cinepocalypse Film Festival here in Chicago. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It was like the I, big I've, music box thing once a year. Yes. That's like and an all-night thing, right? No, right. that's that's Music Box Massacre. This is over the course of like a week. and I, I believe I've taken part in some way with that cinema. I was going to say, yeah, I, I, I would why. imagine you were somehow here for this. but yeah. um, And it's not strictly horror, but a lot of it is. And 
So the last one they did before COVID, they had uh, Glenn Danzig came out and presented uh, Veronica, and I was there, which is truly one of the great theatrical experiences. Uh, you're life. not the only person to have t t told me that exact same thing. He was up in the balcony gauging everybody's reaction, and then came down and like it was it was a thrill He's just beyond. Bl blocks away, he lives blocks away from here. I see him all the time walking around the neighborhood. Um, because that so exceeded any expectation of what it might have been, like, and any idea of good or terrible. Yeah, that's that what, like somebody yeah. like says to me, like I, I'm like, is it good? They're like it was so amazing. I was like, is it good? Uh, it just was an amazing experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, no, it's it's horrifically bad, but it's fantastically <laughs> life affirming. Yeah. Um, but. Like the year before that, their guest of honor was Joel Schumacher. I was like, what the fuck, dudes? And, you know, because I like playing nice with those guys and occasionally showing movies there. I didn't say anything at the time. But, uh, you know, and they had him come out to present Flatliners. I was like, this is like the complete, you know, diametric opposite of what I would hope this type of film festival would be. But And a, yeah. a line of criticism that profoundly impacted me as a writer was David Denby's 1985 New York Magazine review of St. Elmo's Fire. His last line, it was just period, and then it just said, directed by the brutally untalented Joel Schumacher. <laughs> <laughs> and that was as brutal Accurate. a line I had ever read in my life, yeah. That was a movie that we saw a sneak preview of. I remember our mom took us to see it, and Witness was the other movie, which we had already seen, but I think maybe she hadn't seen it. Right. And so that was great, but that movie was just... It was that's that's a, a hate watch for me now. that I love, yeah. A, yeah a truly I horrendously revisited it, but um, you know, he, he, I was thinking about him last night and this morning, and it's just he apparently did begin his career as a window dresser for department stores, yeah, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yes, and like and like highly of, revered and respected. Yeah. Yes, so that's what his movies are. He yeah. never displays any grasp of the material, and. Um, or a visual way to tell the story. Right. So they might be very visually nice looking, but they're, it's never in service of the material. And in this case, it's his own material. And it's like an alien seeing, you know, like Animal House right. and, and right. Stripes and completely misinterpreting them. Because like yeah. in those movies, they're animals and they're scumbags, but they're anti-heroes. So that's right. kind of like coming out of the 70s tradition. Right. Whereas like this one, these guys, these are terrible. I mean, arguably much more terrible people than anyone <laughs> in, in out of any of those movies. Yeah. And yet it's the whole message of the movie is keeping your dream alive and reach for the stars. <laughs> and it's just like, like, ugh, like Charlie so, Barnett, who's, you know, yeah. Arguably the most interesting, you know, yeah. per performer in the in the movie, and sadly his life was was cut short. But uh, and clearly a an admitted influence on Dave Chappelle among other people. But he he early on, uh, ro like basically like ch charges these this Asian couple. I don't know if they were Chinese, Japanese. Uh, yeah. uh, by charging them for a hundred dollars for a trip to the airport, hundred ninety-five dollars yeah, for a twelve-dollar trip. For a twelve-dollar yeah. trip, and then like fucks with their car so that they crash into a Chinese restaurant, and then yeah. he like makes this horrible Asian yeah. Ching Chong Charlie <laughs> impersonation yeah. at them. But you're supposed to be rooting for him, right? That yeah. for them. 
It was a I harsh mean, time, man. Gary Busey <laughs> in this movie is just fucking a disgusting pig. Well, he a, he espouses a racial uh, theory several that, times, but but it's it's essentially the same as Charles Manson's Helter yes, Skelter. Yes, Skelter, and he uses the N word. <laughs> yes, he and does. then later on he brings and, it, and he once brings he uses an abbreviated version of it, which is somehow worse. Yeah, and it's like he's just and he's completely always sexually harassing women. Yeah. You know, yeah. starting with Max Gale's wife, uh, uh, um, Salvo, who, who kind of hit it with Arthur as the prostitute and Arthur and right. then was in my favorite year. She was right. on a little bit of a streak there. Um, very funny woman. But, but I want to say something, though, about Gary Busey. And have you ever worked jobs like I was a janitor? So you work with essentially, you know, it was at white, Hispanic and black guys together. And I was an elevator opera, the same thing. And that's how they talk to each other. It's nonstop racial humor, about, like nonstop. And, and then if among the white guys, it's by, you know, nationality. So then it's like, you know, you filthy mick, you disgusting wop, that kind of thing. Right. But he also, like, they, you know, go to the male strip club and they call them faggots. And yeah. He, yeah. He, it's, he's gross with women and stuff. I, I yeah. took a note since you said that. Because there's a bunch of scenes where they're in this restaurant where they hang out. And the way they behave and how loud they are, well, yeah. <laughs> they never get kicked out of there. But I wrote that if Gary Busey was in a room I was in, a group I was in, I would get the fuck away from them. Like, I would never yeah, no. hang out with that person ever again. He is so uh, repulsive. Right. And all throughout, it doesn't stop it. There's, a, there's, a, uh, there's another racial thing in the last you know 15 minutes or whatever and it's like uh, what but i mean I, I guess it's you know it's a different time and it's ball busting or whatever but it's yeah. just it, 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 you know to, to, to go back to my point about joel schumacher it's just sort of like not understanding that these are not likable people that we should be rooting for <laughs> yeah. i don't even know that they you know max gale runs this shitty cab company with shitty cabs yeah where they abuse cabs, you people. wouldn't get into even in 1983. You wouldn't get. But into why are cars. you supposed to be rooting for them? I don't understand because the other guys are co <laughs> are corporate. Like it's kind yeah. of like this. Again, this trans. This we're moving the transitioning from the 70s anti-hero to these, yeah. you know, sort of square 80s, you know, right. likable heroes. But we're not quite there yet. So it's just sort of like it's this uneasy middle right. point. Very much. Yeah. It's just they are unlikable but you're supposed to really be yeah. invested in cheering for them you know achieving their right. dreams you know there's a few likable people there's like marshall warfield marshall warfield is, who is great plays a human being who she plays um, the one cab driver uh and marshall warfield was a very funny stand-up comic was also on night court was one of the bailiffs um yes and i was watching this, i was like man she could have been a great dramatic actress just from the, yeah. like the one scene where she keeps getting robbed but doesn't it bum you out that she never gets revenge on the guy that robs she, her? She needs him in the balls. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> she sends his testicles up into his throat, Pat. Yeah. yeah so. I guess I, I got all muddled in the 8,000th plot uh, introduction. <laughs> it was, it's, it's so much plot and no plot at the same yeah. time. <laughs> and then there's 80 different scenes where everybody's down and somebody gives the speech about come on we got to do this yes. and then they get all revved up and then they're down again and then it has to yeah. happen again mr speech gives a big uh, mr. mr speech mr t gives a great speech a great we're not losers speech 
Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, that's good, Mr. Sp- yeah. Mr. T, uh, in front of the Lincoln Monument. Yes, uh, Abe's Lincoln place. Memorial. Yeah. They keep calling it Abe's place. Yes. In front. That was very funny. That was a good gag. That was well done. Um, you know, I have forgotten that, and if I've mentioned this before, because it's adjacent to some of the characters you've talked about on on your show here. Um, I have a friend who was on Politically Incorrect when oh, Bill Maher yes. was doing Politically Incorrect. So I was invited to a, I believe it was a Memorial Day party at Bill Maher's house with her. Yeah. And I was once in a room with Bill Maher, your old boss, Larry Flint, Jeez. Jimmy Walker, wow. Cato Kalin, and Lord. Gary Busey. Gary Busey took a shine to me oh, at no. this party. Yeah. And at one point asked me if I wanted to dance. I was sitting and he pulled my arm and I thought it was gonna come out of the socket. (laughs) And he had the one eye, because it was after his accident, one of his eyes was not. So you like try to look him in the eye and get a sense of calm. And and, uh, and it was not there, you know, it was very scary. Eventually let me go. He wasn't drinking, he was, but he was downing Cokes like crazy. I remember that. Maybe I'm telling tales out of school, but... No, no. But what struck me about Bill Maher in this movie, so he's playing like a synth musician in the 80s. First off, the amount of cigarette smoking is astounding. Everybody well, just puffing like cigarettes. that's everything from this era. Like, if you yeah. see Ghostbusters... Ghostbusters, which is, you know, yeah. Everyone yeah. shows it to their kids, and then the kids are always like, why are they constantly have cigarettes in their mouth? <laughs> <laughs> and why is Dan Aykroyd getting a blowjob from a ghost, or whatever that is. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's pretty but remarkable. But what struck me was that how short he was, and that he looked like Corey Feldman. And I guess he's he's called Baba, and he's I guess he's supposed to be some sort of spiritual guy. He's right. always kind of yeah. giving these sage sort of monologues about life and the meaning of life and death and and all this stuff it's very weird he's only like 27 years old but he he basically looks you know the same as he does now you know i mean he doesn't yeah he doesn't have gray hair and stuff but like you know basically he's he doesn't really look like a 27 year old and you know Um, he had like a, a weird aborted movie career um in the 80s that's that's worth mentioning he was in rat boy which is yeah. an amazing film, 86. House 2, The Second Story. Uh, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death, which is... Oh, that a, must be know, one of your favorites. Well, you, it's like, yeah, that's those. the self-aware, you know, yeah. winking. No, it blows. Bimbo babes in the slime ball. Exactly. Ball and and what yeah. I hated was that, like, they, they show somebody, they college. So one of the great gags of 80s movies is Ned Beatty being named uh, Dean Martin. In, yeah. Out back to school. And then in this, the dean of the school is named Dean Stockwell. It's like, oh, fuck yourself. Yeah, right. And then Pizza Man, which is a, an astounding uh, thing where he, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but Pizza Man. Just look up Pizza Man. I just it's, think of that movie Lover Boy with. Uh, yeah, with, but this is I, like. I always think that is called Pizza Man, but it's called This Lover is a Boy political satire where he's with like Ronald Reagan imitators and, and like. Like Jimmy, his, the Jimmy Carter look-alike, that freak. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's showed up as Jimmy Carter. It shows up as Jimmy Carter in the Last Boy Scout because right, uh, yeah. Bruce Willis has <laughs> right. saved his life. Uh, Bill Maher has his moment where his political moment in this, where he walks up to the White House near the beginning and says yeah. something negative about you know Reagan and this yeah. administration or something, which is kind of funny. Suck but, it to us, little man. Um, yeah. I, I like the very beginning of this movie, which is a. Uh, the universal logo yeah. goes, the the globe and the universal goes away and it's the stars. And then in a parody of the opening of Star Wars, the, right. the cab 
going over for as long as the ship in Star Wars goes over. And but then yeah, they're playing this clever. weird game where they all have rubber Halloween masks on and are it's chasing some kind each of other tag. Yeah, some kind of hide and seek with cabs. And, yeah, I guess you're supposed to think at the beginning that Charlie Barnett is running from bad guys, right. but it's all his friends. And then so, you find out yep. he does a joke with them. Just and, a, a little more about Charlie Barnett. Um, you know, he came out of, he started telling, he did, he did stand up in Washington Square Park in the 80s, late 70s and into the 80s. And he started drawing like hundreds of people. And yes. I saw him a couple of times. Like by the early 80s, like Wall Street had caught on to him. So guys would come up at their lunch hour. It was scene. like the biggest crowds that that park is like ever seen. It was seen. insane. Like I, you couldn't hear him. Like, and, and I also, right. I was afraid to get close because I didn't want him to see me and make fun of me. But uh, <laughs> But he was like, you know, it was really something else. And then he auditioned for Saturday Night Live in 1980, got a call back and wouldn't go because he couldn't read, which right. was really tragic. And he always said that Eddie Murphy got his slot and he was resentful about right. that. Um, you know, it's funny. I just thought of this is that Pam Greer taught Richard Pryor how to read in yeah. during Grease Lightning. Wow. And I, I know, know that, that the actor wow. Lance Henriksen did not know how to read when he starts. So when he's in like Close Encounters and Dog Day Afternoon and stuff, he didn't oh, learn how to read till later wow. in life either. Yeah. And then uh, he was on Miami Vice. He was a guy called Noogie. He was like a, a lot of people uh, really remember him for that. Yeah. Even though it was only one episode, it was. Memorable. No, I think he was on a couple episodes. I think they brought him back a couple okay. of times over the course of the whole show. Um, and I just remember him on that saying, "This is the tip of the ice cube." That was his life. <laughs> there was a movie that played at the theater I worked at when I worked there that was kind of baffling called My Man, My Adam? Man Adam. Yeah. Oh, that's one of the weirdest fucking movies I wrote I wrote about in Teen Movie Hell, yeah. So Raphael Sabarge. Because, yeah, and, it's just basically about, again, another pizza delivery kid. Right. <laughs> but his best friend is Charlie Barnett, who's like every other word is motherfucker. Right. So it's another insanely R-rated movie over there. Then he's in the Loretta Swit movie Beer from 1985. Right. That corporate satire, yeah. Which, I again, is another movie I only remember from seeing the VHS box of. I don't remember right. playing in a theater. I, I only remember ever seeing it in my friend's HBO guide. And then, actually, I did try to watch it. It was too boring. So, so Dave Chappelle has cited uh, Charlie Barnett as an influence, and I think you can see his clear yeah. uh, in the character and, and stuff. But in the movie Half-Baked, Dave Chappelle does the comedy in the park, like Charlie yeah. Barnett. Did he yeah. do that as well in uh Now, the in other big comic to come out of this, and, and you can see them both in the movie Mondo New York, that kind of mm, right. performance art hybrid with classic Mondo movie stuff with fake, you know, slave yeah. auctions and stuff. Uh, was Rick Aviles. Right. Who was, who was the also first, another guy who died fairly they young, They both too, died yeah. from, as a result of their uh, drug addictions. Yeah. 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 And Rick Aviles, I think the last thing he's in is um, Ghost. Yeah, he was he was the bad guy in Ghost. He was and the, he gets dragged away by the demon. The cartoon demons. Those were and cool. And he's, he's yeah. in... Um, some good stuff. And he's he was really good. I like. He was really he's good. Funny. Really good. Yeah. As was Charlie Barnett. As yes. You know, he's very good in this movie. Yeah, you could see him really having a career beyond this. I mean, he he died in '96, but you can imagine he probably was sick for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he didn't appear in much. Uh, yeah, and Rick at, died in '95. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Bill Maher has the classic uh, comic outfit of the 80s, the T-shirt <laughs> with, the, with the blazer with the rolled up sleeves. And the suspenders. Yeah. yeah, he's just, the only thing he's not doing is standing in front of a brick wall. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, if anything, 
you know, if I went to see the Mr. T movie and maybe he was aware that I was rated R, but, you know, that could mean any number of things. Right. I was certainly, uh, my all of my illusions were knocked out within five minutes when this hooker is blowing some old dude in the back of his cab. <laughs> but to, to Mr. T's credit in that scene and in, you know, he's trying to keep his niece away from the pimps right. and the drug dealers. I mean, he does the Mr. T, you know. Yeah, he does the full just say no yeah, Mr. T yeah. messaging. He's a good guy. I mean, uh, unlike a lot of people in this movie, <laughs> he's, he actually is like, cool. Um, Grady Whitman Mayo has very Grady funny from Mr. Uh, Rhythm. Sanford yeah. Son. Now, a lot of people, uh, I don't know, maybe a lot of people know this, but are not. But uh, Grady from Sanford and Son, a great character, Fred Sanford's friend. And sometime in the late 70s, uh, Red Fox refused to uh, he, he, work on Sanford and Son because he, he wanted more money. So he sat out a few episodes and they replaced him with Grady. And the one of the episodes with Grady ended up, and who knows why, it was the highest rated episode of Sanford that had ever aired at that time. And so they mistakenly gave Grady his own show. <laughs> I mean, not mistakenly to me, because yeah, I, I mean, why don't you think that? Yeah, I think he lived like in the attic of like a white family or something. And I never saw it, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think it was on much, but I was excited for because yeah. I love Grady. And yeah. Boba and Rallo and all those characters from Sanford Son. But uh, so it was exciting because I don't, I don't remember seeing him for a while. Sanford Son was in reruns at that point, and he came in. He comes in pretty early in the movie, and I've never forgotten this phrase, which we we still say sometimes. <laughs> don't let your dick run your life. <laughs> so it's like Grady, but he's being dirty. It is a crucial bit of advice from Mister Rhythm. He, uh, Mister Rhythm, he he actually also kind of saves the day at the end. He's the yeah. one guy that's kind of like on the ball. And, and I love, you know, I got to say, Mr. Rhythm, all the, you know, Joel Schumacher was also a like esteemed costume designer. Yes. And I do really like the costumes in this movie. And Mr. Yeah. Rhythm's outfit is amazing. It's great. Yeah. With the uh, lose weight now, ask me how button. No, like I said, it yeah. always, it always looks right. It's just right. like, it's like, it's like a, uh, you know, a cake recipe where it's just like, you know, it's a beautiful looking cake, but like they used salt <laughs> instead of, you know, right. sugar or and whatever. Someone left know, it just, out in the rain. Or yeah. like in, I, I, uh, uh, I think about this in the, in David Cronenberg's The Fly, where he puts the steak through the teleporter yeah. and then it tastes like shit. Yeah. It's, a, it's the same thing, totally. but it's, a, yeah. it's this thing interpreting what a steak is rather than what it, right. it really is, you know, and it can't really know because it's not human. That's what that's what his movies kind of feel like to me. <laughs> yeah. So also, so wedged into this is Irene Cara making a cameo appearance. Apparently, and, uh, that was the so the ending of this movie is reshot, right? Because and it's funny because when, as I was watching it, I I never thought of this before, and like I said, I haven't seen the movie that much in the in the last forty years or whatever it's been. But why the fuck do they get a parade? I was like, what? I had that question. They so, saved the ambassador's kids. Okay, so what it was was that in the original ending, Irene Cara, who says when she's in Charlie Barnett's cab that she's going to be singing at the White House, right, finds out about it and invites them to the White House to see her perform. Oh, okay. Which makes yeah. sense. But yeah. why the fuck is a city throwing them a parade? <laughs> they saved the ambassador's kids from the third time they had been kidnapped. Ooh, so it's like, they, so it's like routine at that point. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, a parade? It's also really? like a really shitty parade. It's like one high school marching band. Yeah, maybe that, um, you know, justifies it a little bit that it's not a great parade. 
There was something about the you know, the USFL, I guess, was a thing for one year. Yeah, that was 82. 1983, yeah. 82, 83. Yeah. So yeah. the cheerleaders from one of the teams that yeah. make it, made it into the parade, too. But they... Yeah. they uh, it was Donald Trump's uh, New Jersey Generals correct. was in the uh, yeah. USFL, as I With, recall. With uh, uh, Lawrence Taylor. Oh, that's right, yeah. So Irene Cara, she you know she had a hot eighty three with "What a Feeling" from Flashdance. The song and, from uh, this one uh, only made it to thirty seven on the yeah. charts. It's well, the title is hilarious: "The Dream" and then a parenthesis, "Hold on to your dream," which is the, yeah, like the Flashdance <laughs> thing. But I did love this period where Giorgio Moroder, yeah, God bless him, he's great, wrote the score, but also most, if not all, of the songs for the movie. Yeah. So we have this one. We have Scarface, yeah. of course, which came out right. the, you know, the week before. Uh, Top Gun, which won an Oscar. Over the Top. I think he wrote all the songs in that movie, and wow. all the different artists would perform them. And there's some kind of nice continuity to that that we don't... Absolutely. I mean, we don't have any good music in movies anymore. It's just a, it's, no. it's a, it's a throwaway thing. But um, I kind of like the Dream song, too. Yeah, I like that song, and I like yeah. the uh, round and round to be gone around the whole like sort of like when all the all the times in the movie when it's like at the montage we're gonna clean up the house and that fix yes this was a, this was a great fixing up the house month fixing up the joint a, montage is that a DeBarge song yeah it's either DeBarge or Shalimar I can't Shalimar remember. I think maybe, it's Shalimar right. I think yeah. it's Shalimar but we then have the big hit "Dancing in the Sheets" from Flash, yeah. uh, from Foot, Footloose. Footloose, yeah, which is a Dean Pitchford uh, songs. Oh, I'll tell you an Irene Cara thing that you know, like every year my my Spotify top one hundred always like exposes me. Yeah, oftentimes there's an Irene Cara song in there called "Why Me." That's Did like from eighty five, eighty six. It's like, oh, why me? Da, 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 da. <laughs> you oh, why me? It or it comes up on random. No, no, no. I, I love that song. Oh, and I, I probably listen to it, I don't know, 50 times throughout any given year. And then I, it's I on my list of top 100. Left out at the end of the year because I don't have Spotify. I have Apple Music, so I don't I don't oh, use man. Spotify. Yeah. And so I don't never get those lists, and I just feel less than everyone Always, else. Every this time every of year. year, top ten, the King of Wishful Thinking by Go West from uh, Pretty Woman. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and I'll get over you. I so know good. I, now, I have to I'm say, how I got into that song was just I don't know. It was like oh, when there was the box. Remember the box, which you called in to watch music videos. You'd request yes. pay a dollar. So I was watching the box, and they showed the video. The video is so inexplicably violent. There's no, really? there's no violence in it. But everybody is going to have to watch this, and I'll put it on social media. It's these two guys from Go West. They look like absolute fucking psychopathic bruisers, like like British gangster type, but like in the like the they're like the 80s, Cray brothers. 90s. Yeah, but like the gross like nineties <laughs> hip hop version of that. Right. And everything they do is so loaded. Like they playing the drums, like they're beating the shit out of it. And and the gag is that there's like elephants and the Pope and a hockey team. For that so at song? The, at the end, they're sitting there and like 15 kitchen sinks full of silverware fall out of the sky all around them. And I was like, this is like Sam Peckinpah. You know, this is like berserk. Yeah, well, he did the Julian Lennon videos. I guess he was already gone by then. Uh, what's oh. what's that? Uh, uh, we close our eyes. Is that Go West? Was that their big hit? That's. The, I think that's their other song. I think that's it. It's like a ballad. Yeah, the other. We song, close yeah. our eyes. We never do do do. I think. That's oh yeah, Go I West. think that's what it is. I think that's Go West. They were yeah, they were like a British like that era of like. Uh, 
<laughs> David and David and the blow monkeys. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meet Danny. What was that one? Oh, Danny, Danny Wilson. Wilson. Oh, my yeah. God. That was if Mary's I was prayer. Mary's prayer. Yeah. And if I said, save me. <laughs> I, uh, I dated a girl named Mary the summer that that came out. Uh-huh. Hey, how about, uh, can we talk about the Barbarian Brothers? Or can you talk about the Barbarian Brothers? <laughs> well, we just lost one of the Barbarian Brothers. Yeah. R.I.P. Or the Paul Brothers, I guess. Yeah, officially. the Paul Brothers. And the name of this are Buzzy and Buddy. Um, Buzzy and Buddy. I thought it was Buzzy and Bucky. It's Buzzy and Buzzy Buddy. Buzzy and Bucky. I'm, I, I don't know. It's, it's The movie Barbarians that they yeah. starred in was played yeah. at the theater that I worked at when I oh, worked Oh, that's great. Too. Wow. Yeah. That got a theatrical release? That's yeah, amazing. for a week. Yeah. In Chicago? Yeah, 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 yeah. suburbs, yeah. That's awesome. Because that, would, that to me, would have been a definite, like, you know, 42nd Street, you know, one week only. Stop. Yeah, I saw, I saw parts of it. I don't think I ever saw the whole I've thing. I've never watched the whole thing, but I've watched yeah. everything, you know. And they're in, uh, they're in a deleted scene from uh, Natural Born Killers. Yeah, so uh, now I don't, I, I'm forgetting the origins of this, but at some point they were financing the, move, the script or the movie in some way. Yeah, I don't and know so the whole they, background, but yeah. I think it was Tarantino who yeah. wrote them into the script as guys yeah. that were being murdered. Yeah. They wanted themselves. to get murdered. Yeah. 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 Crazy. And I, I've never seen it. I'm not a huge but the, so killers fan. No, me neither. They're, so their thing was they were they got famous because they were kind of like bodybuilders? Or? They were, yeah. No, it was just the post-Arnold era, and they were twin brothers, and they uh, yeah were huge, and they could kind of hold their own on screen. I mean, God knows they're not actors per se, but right. You know. But, you know, it's interesting, like this, uh, people forget um, that people could get famous by being on posters oh, please, in the 70s yeah. and 80s. Yeah. I mean, there were people who were kind of famous, like Farrah Fawcett and people like Dolly right. Parton, who had like very famous high selling posters, right. which is funny. It's a piece of paper. I mean, anyone now could print it right. out on their thing at home and put it yeah. on their wall. But these posters sold a lot. And some people, it's like you didn't know who they were, but they were just like. There was probably some poster of those guys, and somebody's yeah. like, who's that? And somebody in Hollywood was like, let's put them in this movie. And um, one of the ways that you know the ending is reshot, by the way, is that they don't have their beards in the parade <laughs> at the right. end. They shaved. Oh, they spruced up for the big parade. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. This was and, a name that always made me laugh as a kid, the editor of this movie, David Blewett. <laughs> it just Man. always made me laugh and now it's like after copland you know it's the whole, yeah. you blew it <laughs> yeah but um and i love uh max gale as you know he's Lord so good and, uh, so good yeah such a believable like vietnam vet character too like yeah and not you know a little crazy but not demented right vietnam no vet. no I mean, yeah he does light his fireplace yeah it does have a flamethrower yeah but it's just, it's more like he's having fun and he's trying to like wig people out by doing it. Yeah. yeah. But he looks like, yeah, authentically like yeah. a kind of guy. He's like got an the Grateful Dead shirts. Vietnam yeah. vet. Yeah. He's bald, but his hair is long on, on the yes. sides. And um, it's kind of a Gallagher do. And he's married to Anne <laughs> DeSalvo, who's just, you know, a Paris and, you know, yeah. just over It was him. funny. It's, but you, she's, she's, she's a, funny. she always was good. And, yeah. and, but I know you're supposed to think she's a villain, but it's like, yeah. You know, this guy's a slob, and it's like, what is? He, he, you never see him doing anything to run his company or make it a good company or fix no. the cars or anything. And I, I guess you're supposed to believe that's because they don't have any money. But it's, 
they do business so badly right. that it's like, well, of course, like, you know, you're going to fail. <laughs> like, uh, that's uh, the other, yeah, the dispatcher is constantly looking for any available cabs and they're never available because they're doing something gross. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, this Charlie Barnett does the thing where he, the, you know, drops, picks the guy up at one airport, but he's drunk and passes oh, yeah. out. And the guy wants to go to the other airport, so he just stops and, and, but that's where the moral center of the movie, Adam Baldwin. Mr. Adam Baldwin, yes. Weird right wing uh, MAGA who I've even had run-ins with Twitter, even on Twitter. Really? Even though, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I think we were like friendly, like mutual admiration, right. you know, years ago, and then yeah. I, I saw what his thing was, and well, didn't you do the? Did you do the uh, commentary for the My Bodyguard disc? No, my brother did. I mean, I was okay, there yeah. when they recorded it. My brother right. did it with Tony Bill, with the director. Oh, okay, yeah. right, right, cool. Yeah, because yeah, that is a movie that was shot in Chicago when yeah. we lived there when yeah. we were kids. So that was a big movie for us. But, um, yeah, he um, he has that one scene with him and Bill Maher. Like, they're heart-to-heart about, like, the meaning of life and death and all that stuff, too, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Two ends of the political spectrum there. But Adam Baldwin is the moral center, you know, gets Charlie uh, to, or Tyrone, as he's named. Yeah. Wears a fake wig with um, curlers in it, because so, that's what people think of him anyway. Right. So, you know, he might as well. And fixes himself up later and puts a suit on, takes the, right. the so wig. So the other person we should talk about is Bob Smuda. Kaufman's part. <laughs> you want to talk about a real life gross guy? <laughs> real life. You know. It was funny. I didn't realize it was him when I was watching it. I, I have a great distaste for him. I, was, yeah. I went to this yeah. um, 30 year anniversary at the House of Blues. I don't know if you were out here then in 2000. I was not, but Aaron was there. Usual yeah. co host, Aaron, yeah. And, you know, among all the books and all the interviews and the dumb movie that he did and all that stuff, like. He did this night where it was like advertised that, you know, I don't know, Andy may come back, you know, right. and then he came back. And it was just such a money grubbing, like, yeah. I don't have a lot of affection for that guy. I think he's No, written, and just constantly, you know, Andy it's like Hoffman's ha- corpse for, you know, really, it's years. like, how much meat are you going to scrape off those bones, dude? But there is the scene where he says he, he's the one who makes a suggestion during the kidnapping that Adam Baldwin is molesting the girl that's kidnapped yeah, with him. Yeah. It's like, and then I went, oh, it's fucking Bob Zamuda. No wonder he's fucking disgusting. <laughs> but uh, and then, you know, he was on another podcast where he was bragging about uh, dressing up in the Tony Clifton. Also, I, I've, uh, Tony Clifton has never made me laugh. And I love I mean, Andy Kaufman. But I always thought that was, I always thought that was some inside joke between the two of them. Yeah, but it's the like idea, the name is not good, the persona is not accurate. Right. I mean, I think the idea reading about the stories of him making them fire, being such an asshole, and then making him fire them, and then him running yeah. off the set, yeah. and like that's a funny, like long, like long fucking. Oh, joke. completely. Yeah. I don't know that I would enjoy being a part of it. You know. No, I'd be in a rage, and I'd want to beat the shit out of the ball. And I love Andy Kaufman. But he just seems to, like, take credit for everything. And it's like, you know, it's all his word, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's um, you know, the, there's a couple really good Andy Kaufman biographies. And then the one yeah. he wrote is terrible. The worst. And it's just, yeah. a, it's self-congratulatory and, yeah. And But he was bragging on this other podcast that he would dress up as Tony Clifton and go to the Playboy Mansion. Right. Where girls thought it was Andy Kaufman and they would like suck his dick. And he was like, isn't that cool of me to do? I think there's video of that or or maybe. Yes, there is. I think there is. Yes. It's in the Jim Carrey documentary, I think. But um, 
which is the far more interesting Andy Kaufman movie than the yeah. than the other one. But um, and y- yeah, well, Elaine Boozler, who was Andy Kaufman's girlfriend, I know she. I love when she lights into. Uh, Oh, does she? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Never heard that. Yeah, he just... He, she was he, on the Bennington show, which I don't know if you know that, Ron Bennington. Uh-uh. Oh, it's great. It's a serious uh, XM talk show. Uh, uh-huh. Had been Ron and Fez. Right, I've heard of and Ron Fe- and Fez. Fez retired. Now he does it with his daughter. But it, 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 he's a great stand-up, and he's a great, great interviewer and radio host. But and yeah, he had her Zamuda. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was great. Um, that strip club raid is gross. I mean, okay, so the woman gets in the cab, is changing her clothes, gets yeah. totally naked, has has those early breast implants that yeah, look they, like just two just volleyballs just fucking, sitting on yeah. there. Just and bathroom caulk, yeah. Gary Busey makes Adam Baldwin go into the... I guess, I guess it's not really a strip club. It's like a gentleman's club where, of course, more gross old guys and... It's like, well, it's like just topless waitresses serving right. these gross, like, you know probably government you know dignitaries yeah so. but there's some more sexual harassment stuff that goes yeah. on and well there. he rips her to get the money she stiffed them right so, so to get his money she's got her money tucked into her g-string so he rips it off and she and it is a funny gag they she runs outside completely nude and yeah that's out. pretty funny but uh, again it's kind of like if they had you know if they had dropped that because that is a big gag and it's fairly early in the movie if they dropped that you know again they might have gone for a pg adventure. or yeah um I wrote here, Gary Busey is vile. Pig laying on the floor of a gross toilet. Oh, it's the best. He and says. then they go to the male strip club where they call yeah. the guys faggots. And then for some reason, this is another one of those things that's just like, you're just supposed to believe it because it's in the movie. Yeah. They all get on their cabs and start dancing and all right. the women come out of the, where the sexy strippers are and go with them. Because they were Even so hopped up and the guys are gay, so they don't get to take right. advantage of the guys. So Even they're all so disgusting. But then, so Busey's lying on the floor of this, the toilet stalls, and he just says, I'm doing some intestinal yoga. Yeah. Well, I first have to he's think just that like was spaced an out, like he's yeah. passed out, and then yeah. he like looks, stares at him with his blank stare and says that. Yeah. Yeah, and they laugh, so you think yeah. it's, it's yes. And then they so, head over to the, and Paul Rodriguez is always being gross with women, too. Yes, yeah. Um. I'm kind of DC yeah. cabbed out, man. Did you see <laughs> Stephen Bauer in the back of the car? No. Stephen Bauer from Scarface. So I guess it wasn't right. a cameo because he wasn't famous he wasn't yet. He was famous but at that point, yeah. When, when the pimps drive up and Mr. T's niece is in the car and he drags her out, Stephen Bauer is sitting in the back oh, looking man. a lot like he does in Scarface. But he's got like the big, <laughs> wow. big. Uh, maybe he was just hanging around. or Came up from Miami for the day during the yeah, shoot. Yeah, I don't know. That might have been something that they shot in L.A. Because I recognize that Universal backlot a lot whenever they have the yeah. chases and stuff. The one um, thing I will say uh, as we wrap up here is uh, yeah. I'm looking, I'm researching. I was like, oh, first of all, I can't believe I forgot. Apparently, there's a deleted scene from Bustin' Loose circling back of Vincent Price. The character is called Alcoholic Mechanic. So don't now, know anything else about that. Yeah. Speaking but, of that, did you, I hope you did watch through the credits of DC Cab, yes? Well, that's what I was about to say because I'm looking at it, it says Dim- Timothy Carey is the engine. I did like, not remember that at all. I never if saw I it never before. Saw, I don't yeah. think I did either, but you know, one of the patron saints of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and there it was, the, the man credits, who introduces every show. There he yeah, was. Gets in the back of Charlie Barnett's cab and he's, he's not paying any attention and he says, Where to? And he says, 
I'm the angel of death. <laughs> Take me to hell. And he says, you got any luggage? And that's it's the end of the, perfect. and we're out. Yes. Well done. So that's pretty good. I mean, you got to give yeah. it to, to that. Yeah. It has the 3D movie joke that uh, is done better in Bachelor Party the following year. Right. Um, I'm also upset when they wreck the, the drive-in the, screen. Anytime yeah. they wreck a movie. And screen. what Bruce Lee movie is in 3D? And, and there are no 3D movies at the drive-in. It doesn't work. Right. So, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, it's a whole... But, you know, they'll go with that in the whatever. comedy. It's you know, fine. Yeah. I like that they uh, are going to pull, like, a straw dogs on uh, on Wojohowicz's wife on Alda Salvo. <laughs> like, they're all, like, going getting into her place. She pulls the flamethrower off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also, when he goes back to get his stuff, they... they um, he runs by his outdoor overground swimming pool two minutes yeah. before he throws the guy in it. <laughs> just establish that real quick. <laughs> That's such a good point. Yeah, let's make sure that there's this big, you know, unusually tall six-foot... In six Washington, foot, D.C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outdoor swimming pool. Yeah, this is a uh, feces slab to me. I mean, I, you know, it has its moments, but it's just so, yeah. like... It's a bunch of... It's a group of people who are constantly yelling at each other and yeah. just obnoxious and just... Ugh. I have to give it a marginal DC cap. I enjoyed I, it. I I'd, I'd recommend I, you, you get the, the Kino Lorber DVD. I can't get mad yeah. at you at that. Yeah. I mean, no, and I understand feces Kino scab, Lorber. Yeah. I, I love yeah. you, Kino Lorber. You know. But uh, that one's not for me. Get busting loose. There you go. So yeah. uh, thank you, Pat Healy. This has been Thanks a so thrill. Much. Two My in a pleasure. row, co-guest host. Uh, Aaron Lee shall return. Our next episode will be a Boxing Day special. Cat uh, mm. Ellinger from the United Kingdom will join us to discuss uh. the Magical Mystery Tour and director Michael Schultz's Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Oh, that's going to be a rough slog. Yeah. Well, Magical Mystery Tour, apparently, you know, they have like a big Christmas movie in England every year that the BBC puts on. Yeah. So 1967. So this is the year of Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. They announce, oh, there's a new Beatles movie with m new songs. And uh, they they aired it and the entire country practically went into revolt at how angry they were over the Magical so, Mystery Tour. <laughs> had the album not been released yet? Well, the album is actually just like a collection of singles. Yes. And then the original stuff. So probably not. It probably coincided. So Right. Because, yeah, because a lot of those like Strawberry Fields and stuff had already right. been released as singles. But, yeah, yeah, I can imagine that thing is just. And that was the first uh, the first like thing that the Beatles touched that turned to shit for them. Except it's, you know, it's still fucking great. And the music is probably, great. probably the only thing. Yeah. 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 No, the album is great. But, the, but and the, I, uh, you know, and, and, and watching it now, divorced of that context, it's the fucking Beatles beating on acid. It's great. <laughs> I remember not having seen the movie, but I had the album. I got it as a gift yeah. as a kid. And, and the, the really gross-looking spaghetti that the couple yeah. eats, yeah. that yeah. really always freaked me they out. keep shoveling the spaghetti in there. but uh, Yeah. Yeah, and well, there's, beauty, there's now, that. like, beautiful prints of it available. So, anyway, that's next week. Uh -huh. That'll be our special Christmas show. And uh, we have some great surprises coming up on 70 movies we saw in the 70s, too. So Oh, good. Hop over there. And uh, thank you, Pat. Uh, would you Thanks. say Cracker, get off the pot one more time? Cracker, get off the pot. I've thank you, Pat Healy. Thank you, Ben. Out other times. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks, Ben. One and all. <laughs>